What's up, what's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast, and I'm excited you joined me today because we have a very special guest. Today, we have none other than Mark Donegan. Today, he is going to be talking with us about some of the coolest stuff that he does. He builds technology companies as a virtual CMO and business consultant, starting his career as a seller and advancing to sales leadership while bringing to or bridging to marketing and business strategy functions. Mark is a revenue first marketer who has produced 500 million in revenue and enterprise value for the companies he's worked with. Holy cow. We're so lucky to have him today and glean as much of his wisdom and journey as we can. So let me cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super stoked that you're here and that we get to talk to you about your journey and all the cool stuff that you're up to today. Thank you for being here. It's great to be here, Michael, on Business Choreography. I love the name. I love it. You know, business is choreography. It and, is. And, and, and marketing and go-to-market, that's like, the primary dance. So <laughs> oh, I love that. I was going to ask you about it, but you jumped right in and said it. I, hey, know, and I'm, I'm not even a dancer, but I certainly <laughs> get the uh, alliteration there. So <laughs> I love it's that. awesome. I love that. Yeah. Choreography is near and dear to our hearts and we believe everybody needs it in Absolutely. so many ways. And so for that reason, we've got you here so that you could talk All with right. us about some of the choreography you've been up to over the it's years. stuff. I want to start with your backstory yeah. and really dig in from the beginning to see how you got to this point, how you're doing the things that you're doing today. You're serving yeah. the industry so well and doing some incredible stuff. And I'd love to hear about that journey because I feel like it's so helpful for so many entrepreneurs and business owners just to hear about others journey because it does feel right. lonely a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, is, isn't it uh, a challenge because we see online, you know, whether it's just through social media or, you know, all these gurus that have their courses and their programs and, you know, it paints a, a picture, right. That, right. um, I find, you know, um, not always, but most of the time is completely out of sync with real life. Right. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, um, yeah. So you know, how did I get to what I'm doing today? Um, well, let's see. At, at 12 years old, my uh, my uncle actually, um, even though my dad was an electrical engineer and um, and ended up retiring uh, at Hewlett Packard and was working around chip design and chip manufacturing. So I grew up in a very you know, like um, I think when I was probably uh, oh I was I was nine. I was no older than 10 years old. And uh, he sat me down and, you know, he didn't say, well, son, it's time to go get a fishing rod and we're going to go fishing. <laughs> he started teaching me Ohm's law. Nice. So, so I, you know, I could design electrical circuits, you know, very simple, <laughs> of course. But anyway, uh, all that to say, at 12 years old, my uncle gave me a book on uh, programming and this oh, language called basic. Now that dates me, but... <laughs> 
But, um, you know, I, I started programming, stayed after school, uh, playing with my school's Apple II, and, you know, eventually, of course, got a computer at home and everything was good. Right. Um, ended up uh, uh, going into a computer science program, uh, you know, because, hey, that's, that's what you do, right? I'm a, uh, you right. know, uh, computer science just makes sense, right? And I realized after uh, a couple of years, I was spending more time playing music and dreaming of being a rock star than, uh, than actually studying. So even though my grades weren't that bad, but it was just like, you know, um, I don't know, maybe I don't want to sit and pound code all day. So I uh, went to music school and I'm connecting to the journey. But, um, you know, the first takeaway here is I have this left brain, right brain thing going on. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it turns out that that's a superpower in marketing. Uh, right. It really is, because especially with all the digital platforms and digital strategies, there's a very heavy analytical component. Uh, at the same time, you know, we're still very much in it's an art and uh, talking to the market and understanding the market um, can't always be quantified to a number, you know, or some metric or some, you know, clearly defined. So went to music school and, um, and, and, you know, to be honest, obviously I never made it to be a rock star, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> you sure? But, well, you know, I, I was, you know, I did end up, uh, you know, playing at a pretty nice level and had, you know, had a little studio. And so I had a lot of fun, you know, for myself. But in music school, I realized that here were these players around me who were just, I mean, some, I went to a pretty good school. Some were um, just absolute world class, you know, and later some of them became very professional playing on big tours and all that. But most of them did not. Most were driving school buses and working at McDonald's. Nothing wrong right. with that. I just had bigger dreams. Right. So, so I'd been working my way through college, uh, doing sales, managing a, an Apple retail store. Actually, I was just selling there, but eventually went and worked for an audio store, managed out, had a lot of fun, went, whoa, like when you're in sales, you get commission and, and if you sell more, you make more money. And besides I get to talk about all this cool stuff that I like and you know, right. and I'm like a technologist. So I uh, went down this whole sales path and I, I discovered early on that I was, I was um, at first it was completely like, I didn't even know what I was doing, but I was doing my own marketing. You know, I'm working in very small companies um, you know, it's not like there's a, you know, a marketing team. And even if there was one or two marketers, like, you know, it was sort of dependent on me, you know, to really make it happen. Sure. And, uh, you know, and again, this is that left brain, right brain just began to merge. And I started realizing, wow, there's a lot of power when you can amplify your voice with marketing. And when you combine that with strategy, you know, when you take a little time to really think about, you know, like why you're saying the things you say and what moves the market. And when you understand that, that drives revenue. And, you know, over time, I, you know, my career started moving more into like business development. I got involved in startups and um, in a startup, you know, marketing, sales, business development, um, in some settings, just kind of all merges together. You oh, yes. know? Um, so yeah, you know, that just brought me into this world. And, uh, I guess, you know, as the saying goes, you look back and, you know, on one hand, it's like, wow, it was sort of a, a random set of steps that got me to where I'm going. And yet also every step absolutely makes made sense, you know? Right. 
Um, so, you know, fast forward to today, I work with companies um, uh, really pretty much exclusively uh, technology startups, but generally startups that are a little bit further down the road. So right. they have reached what, you know, we commonly call product market fit. Right. Uh, uh, or, and, and they're kind of either getting into their growth stage or they're in a growth stage and they're just now needing to, okay, how do we put fuel on the fire? How do we scale up? Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, having a great time. I work with technical founders. Uh, I just work with, you know, uh, great people doing really interesting things and, you know, um, we're having a lot of fun. So. I love that. You know, I, I hear behind that journey, I can hear that there were a lot of uh, different experiences along the way and a lot of different paths that were taken. There's, <laughs> yes. there's always this crazy winding road to get us yeah. to where we're yeah. headed. But I, I love the way that you've merged together the technical knowledge that you've had and being able to help on the other side so that you could do both of the things that you love doing. Yeah. What do you find thus far in, in your journey of working with those technical founders? What have you found has moved the needle more than others when you're talking about mm. marketing and, and doing that mm. type of stuff for those technical founders? Yeah. So you know, we all know the um, failure statistic of startups, and sure. it's pretty depressing. <laughs> you know, um, I have heard depressing because how high it is. And, you know, I, I've heard um, a lot of people say, you know, you, you kind of need to be certifiably crazy uh, to be a startup founder, right. if in the face of, um, of all of this, you still go for it. Uh, and, um, and I really have a firm belief that uh, a, uh, that failure rate doesn't need to be as high as it is. Um, the implication, uh, and there's certain settings where, you know, there's in a really weird way, there's almost a little bit of a badge of honor, you know, that, oh, I've had three failures, but then one breakaway success, you know, and the right. badge of honor is as much in the three failures as the one success. Yeah. And we can talk about the fact that, you know, absolutely, I think we all can relate just in life. You know, our failures, although a lot of times you wouldn't want to go back and repeat, you know, what happened, you know, you think about how that set set us up. Right. And that applies to, to entrepreneurship, I, I fully believe. But my statement about I approach marketing and, and I approach the work I do with my with my clients in that there are a lot of common mistakes that I see and they are um, maybe mistakes, the wrong word. It's assumptions. And so here's an assumption that can be totally avoided. The assumption is, is it my product, my technology, my solution, my service, my fill in the blank is so great. The world is going to beat a path to my door. Um, put another way. Um, yes, the, it, we're entering a heavily contested market. There's a lot of competitors, but you know what? We're going to be 20% cheaper and we're going to get all the business <laughs> or we're 20% faster and we're going to get all the business because white people, that'd be crazy to use the other guy's product, you right. know? Exactly. Um, and there's, and there's variations of this, right? Well, the problem is, is that intuitively um it doesn't matter you don't have to be in technology whatever industry that you are in and uh, you know and i encourage you know the listeners right now just think about the industry you're in 
and think about companies that maybe you directly competed with or that you know about who truly had a better product, better solution. In other words, truly, like it wasn't just hype, like it was better and they failed and how the leader in your space probably has certainly has good things about their product, but they may have massive holes and everybody walks around going, those guys, you know, ah, they're, you know, five years, they're gone. And yet five years are stronger than ever. Why is that? Right. So if it's true that all it takes is, you know, better, faster, cheaper, well then business would actually be really easy. Right. Right. But we have examples all around us of where that's not true. And what's cool about this for me is that marketing is often the answer. And so a lot of times I'm getting involved with a company who is at kind of one of, you know, two or three or four different places, you know, one, um, it's a technical founder. They've spent their career, you know, maybe working for a really big company. Maybe they came out of Google or Facebook or, you know, um, Apple or, and, but they were like an engineering leader or they were a, a, a product person. And, you know, let's face it when you're inside Apple, like the Apple <laughs> brand is so powerful. I mean, right. it's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's a planetary system, right? right? And I'm not suggesting that there isn't, there's absolutely sales and marketing happening. But the point is, is that, um, you know, a, I work with founders who are kind of like, you know, yeah, you know, if I'm honest, I, I never even thought about the fact that I worked at Google and anything I put out there just started getting used because it was Google. Now I started my startup and I'm going, how come nobody's signing up uh, at right. Google? I'd put this out and we'd have 5 million users already. You know? right. And I'm not saying people aren't so naive as to assume they could just go start a company. But I mean, you know, and so that's one. And, and then they usually contact me and it's like, hey, Mark, you know, we really need help. You know, look, I'm a, you know, I'm a domain expert. I'm an engineer, but boy, I, I, I don't really know marketing, <laughs> you know. So I get involved there. The, the um, other category um, that I see where um, uh, companies trip up is they, they do understand they need marketing, uh, uh, but they, they don't know how to invest in it, you know? So they don't know what's needed. So, you know, they just simply mishire. Um, and the problem is, is that um, business, <laughs> getting back to choreography, um, it, it really, there is choreography. And um, the idea that I need to hire a, and I'm using air quotes, marketing person, as if that's a, you know, hey, just, you know, ask ChatGPT, you know, please write a job description for, a, you know, and then you interview and you're like, oh, I, I think this Mark guy is kind of a nice guy. He's easy to talk to, seems smart. Oh, let's hire him. You know, the problem is, is that I could come, I could be world-class, but I'm not world-class in what you need. Right. So, so, so I come into your company and I'm just flipping this around as if, as if I was one of these mismatched candidates, you know? So I come in and, and all of a sudden, you know, we're six months down the road and you as the founder, the CEO is kind of scratching your head going, we don't really know what's wrong because Mark seems really smart. He's, he clearly knows marketing, but like, where's the business? <laughs> you know, I have to be honest about the impact. It's not happening. So that's one mistake. So then I get called in sometimes to, you know, maybe, maybe augment, advise. 
And sometimes, you know, they end up exiting, you know, the person realizes themselves like, mm, you know, my, this isn't a good match here. And they part ways, right? Then there is a, a third category. Now, this one's a little bit interesting uh, that I run into. And it is, so let's say I have a SaaS company, you know, so um, uh, I'm building the next great um, MarTech, you know, marketing technology platform. And I truly have a really good idea, you know, and so I built this, you know, the team's been grinding on it for two years and, and we've got some initial market validation and all right, I know I need marketing. I'm going to go find someone out of Salesforce, better yet, HubSpot. Oh, maybe I could get someone from Marketo. That would be amazing. And they are going to crush it. So I, you know, so I've raised some money so I can afford to, you know, I actually can afford to bring someone in from one of those companies who's probably coming from a pretty highly paid position. We go get a recruiter, we go through this long process. Finally, we get somebody. We announce to the board, we announce to the company. There's all this fanfare. Person comes in, boy, the first 30 days, it's just like, wow, you know, I'm gonna go buy a Ferrari because my stock for sure in six months is gonna be, you know. <laughs> and then you get to six months and it's the same thing. Like, what, like, what happened? Like, you know, um, we're not seeing the results. And what you're getting back from that person is, well, I mean, you know, I need a budget. I mean, I told you it's $2 million just to start to build the team. And I need another million dollars to do events. And, you know, we haven't even talked about digital, you know, like really to be in the game or need to spend $100,000 a month. And you're telling me we don't have the budget. So what do you expect me to do? And the founders like scratching their head going, but you came out of, uh, you know, like you're, and again, mismatch. Right. But it's a different kind of mismatch. You know, it's a mismatch where it's somebody, both, both parties, very well intentioned. You know, the person did not misrepresent themselves. They actually did the things they did, but they had a 50 person marketing team behind them. They had $15 million to spend on digital. They had, you know, and of course they knew they weren't going to have 15 million startup, but they figured, well, surely you're going to give me at least to start 50 grand a month, you right. know, and the founders like, we really stretched to get them at their salary. And, you know, so, huh, you know, we're, you know, and, and, and so then I get called in as well. And, and sometimes it's, you know, they're scratching your head going, we don't know what happened. And then we have to walk through the process of like, well, it's, it's simply, it's a stage of your company development, development mismatch. And, right. um, and, and so the good news is this. So, you know, so there's sort of bad news and all that. And, you know, if any listeners like, oh no, like I'm right in the middle of one of those, um, take action quickly. <laughs> um, but, um, there, there, there are solutions and you can recover where it gets dangerous and where companies, you know, in my opinion, just my observation end up not making it is where they keep persisting, you know, with a strategy. So, well, maybe, Maybe that person from HubSpot just, you know, they, maybe we need to go find someone from, and they go find someone from, you know, Zoho, go find someone, you know, and I'm, I'm just randomly picking names. So I'm not, you know, but it's like, but no, it's the same problem. So, you know, so we're looking for, um, you know, we just, uh, in all of our businesses as entrepreneurs, you know, we have to be very conscious of, you know, um, the stage we're in the kinds of people that we need, and then also what is realistic to execute on. Uh, and that's, and that's what I do. That's really one of my superpowers is bringing all of that together. 
so that, you know, we can get the right person initially or the right people executing the right playbook, doing the right things that are stage that are, you know, that are spot on for the stage that you're in. And then, um, when you do that and when you do it with intent, um, you know, I, I just have found, um, that you suddenly success becomes a little easier. Right. Right. You know, you alluded to this idea and concept of branding versus marketing. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's a number of people talking about this in today's, uh, climate. But let's chat a little bit more about that from your perspective. What is the, what are the differences between the branding side of it that yeah. say Apple's doing and yeah. the marketing that everybody else yeah. maybe that is an Apple has? I love it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's such a such a good question and so easy to get trapped into. I was talking to someone just earlier today, um, and you know, and I made the observation that. Um, Traditionally, marketing uh, fell into this this trap of like, um, well, if we get questioned about the ROI on something we want to do, the the answer is, well, think how good it's going to be for those fifty thousand attendees at that conference to see our brand all over the 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 banners in the convention center. Right. And and now even when I say that, I hope that most listeners kind of like, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? And yet most marketing even today is validated with, uh, with a, um, methodology that isn't any more complex than that. Right. You know, like how, how can we measure that? Well, but if we don't do that, the industry might think that we've gone away. Really? <laughs> right. And, and so that's like branding now again, you know, stage specific, right? So clearly, the way that a Coca-Cola and, you know, that's an extreme example, but the way that a Coca-Cola markets is very different than the way that uh, Red Bull marketed 25 years ago, right? When it was a whole new category, it was, and by the way, I use that example because guess what? Red Bull built a category of energy drink that was, and that's how they became just a massive, you know, success and behemoth that they are based on a overly sugary, sweet, you know, based on a drink that, I mean, let's face it, when that first came out, you know, did the average person say, I'm really looking for something, you know, <laughs> like that's what I want. You know, I, I, I think there were probably some people that sampled that maybe even today and they're like, oh, what is this? You know, I can't drink this. And yet, um, look, they built a category. So they didn't try and go after Coke. That would have been ridiculous, right? So they set themselves apart and they built a category. And that's a beautiful thing about being a startup, being new, building something new is that you actually not only have permission, but in my opinion, you almost don't have a choice, but to, to position yourself as a part and entrepreneurs are so scared of this because, um, they're, they're so afraid. Yeah, but, but, but I, you know, like I need as many sales as I can get. And if I do that, maybe like this small group over here that I could possibly sell to is going to think that we don't have a product for them. And I don't want them to think that. And so, and, and so what ends up happening is you end up shotgunning. Your message is totally diffused. No one in the market knows what you do. And then, you know, they're just like, well, there's Coke over here, but Red Bull comes and says, Hey, when you need to be 
a little pick me up at 4 p.m., you know, uh, before you drive an hour and a half home on your commute or whatever the scenario is, or before you, you know, drive two states over to go see your grandma, drink a Red Bull. It's an energy drink. Right. And a whole sector was built out of that, a whole category. And now, guess what? You know, arguably they're the category king or queen, you know, um, uh, of that entire sector. They're competing apart. Nobody, you know, assumes that they're competing with Coca-Cola. Absolutely. Both, sugar, both sugary, sweet drinks, right? Right. Carbonated, you know, all that. So. Well, and I believe in the beginning, it was very much so that they, they sampled it and people were like, this is disgusting. <laughs> this is disgusting. You know, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. this is gross. Yeah. And yeah. most, most yeah. businesses at that stage of the game, if they got that information back, would have tucked their tail between yeah. their legs and yeah. ran away. Or they would have gone and changed their formula. They would have gone in this whole product development cycle. Like, Oh, we don't have something. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a, I work really exclusively in technology. And so I love also the example of how Steve jobs introduced the iPod. And, um, uh, what he did was he, um, after he defined, you know, like a music player, he, he, he held it up. Well, actually, no, he held up and he called it a thousand songs in your pocket. Now, what's super interesting is that Apple was not first to, there were, you could go into, I think back even then you'd go into like Kmart's and Walmart's and they had a shelf with MP3 players, but they were just these nondescript ugly. It said like 64 megabytes, 128 megabytes, like the consumer, you know, and maybe it would say like holds roughly a hundred songs or 200 songs or, you know, like they had done some basic math, right? So the consumer could sort of map, but that was it. And they all were almost the same price. It kind of all looked the same. They were, you know, that's how they're sold. Steve jobs holds up this beautiful white, you know, you know, just beautiful object, you know, with this dial wheel, this little display. And he says a thousand songs in your pocket. And that created the category, you know, that created the category. And then what happens? Apple just runs away with the profits, you know? So all those other guys selling those, you know, those just completely nondescript generic, they're still on the shelf, but like, who's going to buy that? Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's a small number of people. Right. But um, who owns the category? Apple. And now Apple, it, you know, Apple's done it. Well, they've done it many times. But you think about the iPhone. I heard a statistic just, just a couple days ago. Um, iPhone profits, profits in the smartphone sector, Apple gets 84% profit. 84%. And that's why every i every phone, mobile phone out there kind of looks like an iPhone, you know, shares the same design. It all like everybody's copying and Apple just runs away and important. It's profit, profit, not rev, you know, not revenue. Obviously the revenue then is very high, right? But it's profit because of course there's a scenario where you could have very high revenue, but maybe you're not making any money. No, 84% of all the profit generated in the smartphone category accrues to Apple and who is a $3 trillion company? Apple. And so there's lessons to learn in this for, for even for those of us that are just running, you know, small 
five person, 10 person, 20 person companies. Maybe we have aspirations to grow huge. Maybe we're just saying, Hey, you know, I, 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 I don't mind being small, but I, but I'd like to make more money and grow my influence, et cetera. Great lessons. It's fully transferable. Everything we talked about that Apple did and does can be, uh, can be transferred to a solopreneur. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, talk to me a little bit about uh, how people can find you. You know, mm. you've inspired some listeners today to take some action, move forward. How can they find you? How can they get connected and, and move forward with, uh, with the stuff that you love doing? it? Yeah. Love to connect with, um, you know, uh, other, um, entrepreneurs, you know, startup founders, other marketers, you know, love to exchange notes. I'm all about collaboration. Um, two really good ways uh, to find me, reach me. I am all over LinkedIn, Mark Donegan. You, you will find me <laughs> Nice. Type, type my name in the search bar. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I put a lot of stuff up, you know, on my profile and, um, but my website actually is a great resource. It's um, growth stage. So all one word growth stage dot marketing. So it's a marketing domain. And uh, I've got a lot of, um, uh, you know, everything's free up there, of course. But, you know, I've got some really nice uh, mini books, some on the very topics that we talked about uh, or, you know, touched on anyway. So, yeah, I hope that um, people could find some good resources. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you putting those together for us and uh, giving us something to to go check out. And even better that uh, you've made them free resources for us to take a look at. This is a great way for everybody to get in and get involved and be able to take the first steps. Uh, it's very, um, very easy for you to go do that. So we appreciate you putting that together for us, Mark. And uh, before we head out today, uh, any last words of wisdom that you can leave with our audience? Mm. Yeah, you know, I think um, so. I'll keep my words of wisdom focused, you know, around around marketing. Um, uh, you know, um, marketing today in, in, is both gotten more complex and it's gotten simpler. Uh, and and I'll and I'll keep this short. It's gotten more complex in that there is just a myriad of channels that we can advertise on, that we can push content to, that we can, you know, and there's, and, and every channel has its own strategy and, and, um, you know, there's, there's someone out there to show you exactly how to do, you know, Facebook ads or LinkedIn or, you know, SEO and you know, on and on and on. Right. And so that can be incredibly overwhelming really, really overwhelming, especially if, you know, you're at a smaller stage and you don't have a big team and maybe you only have one marketer, maybe you're a founder doing the marketing. So that can be totally overwhelming. Um, where it's gotten easier, uh, or, or how you can make it easier is this go to first principles, look carefully at how your buyers buy, how do they find solutions like yours where do they hang out and by hang out i mean you know and maybe for some businesses that's in the real world you know physical it could be digital a lot of times it's both right but where do they hang out and if you just find ways to add value 
in those areas, those places that your target audience, and by the way, I really like thinking of them as an audience, not as a prospective customer, not as a target, you know, but an audience. Um, if you add value, naturally, they're going to seek you out when they have a need, as long as they know what you do. Now, of course, if, you know, if you don't ever connect to that, well, then they can't seek you out, right? And, and those that figure this out and master the efficient ways to add value, to do that at scale, and by the way, even with generative AI, there's a lot of ways to do that that doesn't require, again, hiring a team of writers. There's a lot of really, there's some great tools out there. But if you do that, you will find your marketing impact, and notice I said impact, um, will really skyrocket. So it's look carefully at the buyer's journey, understand where those buyers, how they make decisions, get into their head, talk to them, really think carefully about those sales conversations you're having and what's behind them, and then just figure out how can I add value? Maybe you can build a community. Maybe you can start a podcast. And you're like, yeah, but I want to talk about my product. No, you don't. You want to be the host of the party so that, and you want to have somebody there who brings the rich and the famous people there. And I'm a nobody, but guess what? The way a party works is as long as it's a good party, everybody wants to meet the host. And so now you have these people who normally you would never get a chance to talk to, not only listening to you, but approaching you. And once that connection's made, then you have opportunities to, you know, um, talk about how you can help them and, you know, what their, what their struggles are and, and, you know, to walk them through a process that hopefully they will become a customer. I love that. Well, we appreciate you being here so much today and sharing your wisdom and your journey with us. Thank you. And uh, excited to have you on the show. Guys, don't forget, keep working on choreographing your business and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.